0: moment for him, five smooth stones. And as he walked out onto the field of battle and he saw the giant in the distance, he he took his leather strap that he used as a sling and he put one of the stones into it and he flung it and it made perfect contact and the battle was over and he walked away with four stones left in his bag. David killed the giant that day. That's what made him a national hero. That's what cast him suddenly into the national spotlight. It's the beginning of what would become a revival among the people of Israel and Judah. And once the battle was over, once the giant was dead, Samuel the prophet comes and anoints him to be the next king of Israel and sets him on a path to greatness. He pronounces God's blessing upon David's life and he tells him about the greatness that God has planned for him and the path that is ahead of him, smooth sailing the rest of the way. The problem is, that wasn't the end of the battles. Saul kept trying to kill David. David ends up running for his life. He spends years in exile just trying to stay alive. But eventually, as we've seen, as we've been studying the life of David these many weeks, we have seen that eventually the prophecy came true, the anointing was fulfilled, he actually became the king of Israel, and finally he can now relax, finally he can now enjoy the ride, but then there was a new battle. <clears throat> and this was a battle within him. This, this was a battle against his own flesh, battle against temptation. And as we saw a few weeks ago, David lost that battle terribly. He gives in to temptation, he becomes a rapist, a murderer, an adulterer. He tries to cover the whole thing up. And eventually, God confronts him through the prophet Nathan, and his heart is broken within him, and he falls flat on his face before God, confesses the whole thing, cries out to God for forgiveness and restoration, and God hears that prayer, and God restores him, and God forgives him, and God pours out grace upon his life. And again, you would say, good, there should be smooth sailing from this point, but here's the thing. Even though we have forgiveness, we sometimes still face the consequences of our sins, amen? amen. So, so the fact that God forgives us, the fact that Jesus sets us free from the penalty of death that is connected to our sin, does not mean that the choices that we make have no consequences. If you have made terrible, sinful, financial choices, you're still gonna be broke. If you have made criminal choices and been arrested for it, you're still going to be in jail. You could be made right with God, but you're often going to still face consequences, and David faced terrible consequences. Remember when Nathan came to David and told him that story about the guy who stole the sheep, and, and Nathan said, you are the man? Remember, David had said, that man should pay fourfold for what he did. Well, his own prophecy came to pass. The baby that was carried by Bathsheba died. And God said that was a direct result of the consequence of his sin. And then his son Amnon raped his own sister, David's daughter, Tamar. And, and when David heard about it, just picture this, those of you who are dads, when David heard about the fact that his eldest son had raped his daughter, you know what he did about it? Absolutely nothing. And as a result of that, his other son, Absalom, despised David in his heart. Absalom waited for the opportunity, took the opportunity when it came, and murdered his brother. Now we have absolute chaos among David's children. Everyone is choosing sides. And from that day forward, David despised Absalom to the point, that, I mean, excuse me, Absalom despised David to the point that when he got the opportunity, he formed a coup and sought to overthrow his own father's kingdom. And there was war once again in the land. David had to flee Jerusalem. And eventually, Absalom was killed in the battle. I'm covering 10 chapters here. I hope you're following this. You're gonna need to read this when you get home. Absalom is killed in the battle, and David's heart is broken because Absalom has has turned against him, but his heart is absolutely crushed because his son is now dead. And so so you have uh, Tamar raped, you have Amnon dead, you have Absalom dead, and you have the child with Bathsheba dead. And ringing in his ears is David's statement that man should pay fourfold for what he's done. But the battles did not stop there. The, there's a guy named Sheba. And Sheba rises up and forms a coup against David and tries to overthrow the government and that leads to another battle. And if those coups were not enough and if his family problems were not enough, there was still war with the Philistines all the time. And and we're going to pick up the story now in the book of 2 Samuel. hope you have a Bible with you. If not, look on with somebody near you or you can probably bring it up on your phone. 2 Samuel chapter 21 in your Old Testament. And I want you to join me there and we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Again, let me just reiterate as you're uh, turning to 2 Samuel. We are flying through these books of Samuel. What I just covered was about 25 chapters of of stuff. And much of what I just told you about with Absalom and Tamar and Amnon and the wars, all of that is covered in the last 10 or 12 chapters that we haven't even looked at together. So again, I remind you, it is not by accident that God has given you one of these books. If you do not have a Bible, come see me afterwards, I will send you home with a Bible. Read those chapters, find out what happened but I'm gonna just move ahead and we're into 2115 now and here's what it says. Now, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him and as they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. Now, you may recall that it wasn't so long ago that it was time to go out to war and David stayed home. David is a warrior king David has now learned his lesson and he goes now to fight the battles with his men, to lead them into battle. The problem is, he's old. David is no longer this young, strong buck. He's now somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 years old. Now those of us who are in the neighborhood of 60 years old... we might say, oh, that's no problem. And that's why they don't let you in the army. (laughs) So David is now 60-ish, but he goes down to fight, and look what it says, and this will not surprise those in my age category. David became weary. I would have gotten weary on the trip down there. Forget the battle. David became weary. Verse 16 there's some great names in this passage. Then Ishbi-benob, you might want to think about naming your child that. Ishbi-benob, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was three hundred shekels of bronze in weight, was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, helped him and struck the Philistines and, and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, you shall not go out again with us to battle, so that you do not extinguish the lamp of Israel. So... So he goes out to the battle, and as he's out there, he gets tired, and his weariness is beginning to show, and suddenly this huge warrior who is a descendant of Goliath, now I don't know if you're using a different translation, I'm in the New American Standard Bible, you may be in the NIV or the ESV or one of the other good translations, but my point is this, it uses a different word there, some some of them uh, where it says he's a descendant of the giant, uses the uh, Hebrew word, um, which is Rapha, uh, and then uh, other places it says he is a, a descendant of Goliath, or some other places say it's Goliath. The point is, there is a family name among the Philistines from Gath, which is Goliath, and they are giants, and David picked up five stones one day And took out the head of their group. But there are generations to come who are just like him. This one is after David for obvious reasons. And he barely survives when one of his other warriors comes and defends him. Now, verse 18. Now, it came about... After this, that there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachi, the Hushethite, struck down Saph, who was among the descendants of the giant. So we have a second giant now being struck down in these battles. Verse 19. There was war with the Philistines again at Gob, and Ethanan, the son of somebody, the Bethlehemite... Killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's, beam, a weaver's beam. This is another one of the giants from the family of Goliath. Verse 20, there was war at Gath again. There was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also had been born to the giants. When he defied Israel, Jonathan the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. That's generous. Fell by the hand of David, who was weary and was standing there while others came to his rescue. But one, two, three, four more giants fell in this little section of chapter 21. Four more giants. And there's a lot of talk, you read commentaries about this, who are these guys, what's their story, um, and some, some uh, say the, that uh, everyone agrees that these are descendants of Goliath from the family of Goliath, they're all giants, one of them has got 24 digits, and uh, he's a little bit freaky in and of himself. And um, these are all descendants of Goliath. And there's a lot of talk about those five stones. We thought there was just one giant. It turns out there's at least five. You see, sometimes there's more battles down the road than we realize are coming. The battles just kept coming. And there were more battles for David more battles that were war battles. There were battles within his own family. There were political battles to fight. And there was the ongoing battles that he had with temptation. David uh, acts out from fear when he realizes that he's uh, facing a much larger army and he does what he's been told not to do, which is he takes a census so that he can number his own men so that because he's afraid that God is not able to handle or will not handle the larger army and God becomes angry because of this. The result is more suffering for the people of Israel because of the sin of their king. And finally, David repents of that, but not before there was more suffering. And that brings us back to that question of why did he pick up five stones? It only took one to do the job. And, and listen, I don't want to go so far as to say David knew about these other four giants. He was saving these stones for that. That's a little far. But symbolically, there's a picture here there's a picture here that the battles in life keep on coming and we have to be prepared and we have to be ready for what is coming. Even when we have been chosen by God, even when we want to honor God, even when God has made promises about our lives, even when uh, we experience his blessing in our lives, life on this earth is filled with battles. Anybody agree with that? <laughs> Friends, if the life of David teaches us anything, it's that that the life of faith is not simply a life of ease. And, and this this topic keeps coming up in our discussions here. It, it keeps coming up. As we look at the life of David, we're like, wow. At the beginning, he just he kills this giant, and it just looks like from that point on, he's going to get on a cruise ship and cruise through the rest of his life. But it does not happen like that. And guess what? It ain't going to happen like that for you either. That's not how life in a broken world works. David was a man after God's own heart, but he was not perfect. And the people around him were certainly not perfect. We live in a broken world. And that means we're going to face lots of challenges and even some serious battles in our lives. It means that we are going to stumble. It means that we are going to suffer. It means that we're going to have to develop faith we're gonna have to develop hope, we're gonna have to actually have endurance, we're gonna have to actually put our faith in God and not just talk about it, but actually put our weight upon what we say we believe. That, that, that song we sang earlier, that, that we have to remind ourselves of all that he's done and the life we have because of his son, and then we say, I will believe. Guys, as Christians, we need to define that term the way the Bible defines that term. To believe is not just to have intellectual assent that Jesus is God and God loves me and I'm gonna go to heaven one day. To believe is to put the weight of my life upon that truth. It is to act upon the fact that Jesus is who he says he is and that life is not about this world, but it is about eternity. And God calls us to believe and that belief develops over time and it happens largely because of the battles. It's how he shapes us. Makes me think about a guy in our scripture named Timothy. In our men's Bible study on Saturday mornings, we just yesterday finished studying 1 Timothy together. We've been in there for months and Timothy is this young man Very, very young, and he's given a huge task. He's chosen by God to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which is arguably the most difficult church to pastor in the entire New Testament era. His church is down the street from the temple of Diana. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's an uphill battle, and Timothy was nowhere near ready for it. He was timid, the scripture tells us. He's warned not to be timid. He was inexperienced. He was extremely young. He wasn't all that confident that he could do the job. And so Paul wrote 1 Timothy to him as a letter of encouragement. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a you can do it letter. It it makes me think about when I was uh, playing high school sports, it would be a big game day and and we're playing the the Crosstown Rival and it's the big game and the whole school is decorated and there's pep rallies and all that kind of stuff. And what would happen would be that the cheerleaders would, would put notes in our lockers. And, and you'd go and open your locker, and there'd be a note from the cheerleader, usually hopefully with a candy bar or something like that, and, and, uh, or maybe a picture of the cheerleader or whatever. And, and it would say, hey, you got this. You can do it. We're going to win this. And that's what we would have, these notes from the cheerleaders to cheer us on and tell us we could do it. I know it's an uphill battle. I know it's going to be a hard game, but I believe in you. And we would get these notes from the cheerleaders. You can do it. Go for it. You got this. But pastoring this church in Ephesus was such an uphill battle for Timothy that Paul writes him, 1 Timothy, as a note in his locker that says, you can do this. I know you're young. I know you're confused. I know you're afraid. I know you don't really know what you're doing, but God's got this, and he coaches him through it. But pastoring the church at Ephesus is not an easy task. There are false teachers among the leaders in his church. The elders in his church, some of them are heretics and they're leading the people astray. And, and they're trying to build this church and reach a community in a pagan city that is arguably the most pagan city in the entire known world at that time. It is the city of Ephesus and at the center of the city is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana. And at the temple of Diana, people come from everywhere as pagans. And the worship, because she is the goddess of fertility, the worship is built completely around sexual debauchery. So the idea is that if you really want to worship this goddess and if you really want the blessings of fertility in your life, then you're going to go to this and they have literally hundreds of temple prostitutes who are there so you can have an orgy in the temple as an act of worship. So... There's a big neon sign right as you come into town that says, what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. And Timothy has got a little sign out in front of his church that says, prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. And he's trying to draw a crowd while they're all heading to the temple where the services are more fun. That's the battle that he faces. How are you supposed to build a church in a place like that? The church was losing ground. Timothy's losing heart because the battles just kept coming. There was problems within the church. There was problems outside the church. There wasn't enough resources for what they were supposed to do. So about three years after writing 1 Timothy, the note from the cheerleader, with his own execution right around the corner, the Apostle Paul writes 2 Timothy. It's another letter to Timothy who is still flailing away, trying to do the best he can to pastor this church in Ephesus. And Timothy is now beaten down, he is discouraged. He receives this letter from Paul, and this one has a very different tone than the first one. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells him over and over and over and over and over again that he needs to be strong. He tells him he needs to fight. These are words lifted right from the passages. He tells him he needs to endure. He tells him he has to persevere because the battles are not going to stop. In fact, more attacks are coming and Paul tells him you are going to have to suffer hardships. Take your Bibles and go to the New Testament, to the book of 2 Timothy, and go to the end of 2 Timothy, well, we'll go first to the beginning of 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and let me just read to you, uh, okay, that's the second time I lied to you. We're going to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 4. Here's what Paul says to Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. He uses this illustration, this analogy. If you had joined the army and you became a soldier, you stop doing what you want to do. You now do what you're told to do. You don't wear what you want to wear. You wear the uniform that they gave you. You don't sleep until you decide to get up. You sleep until oh dark 30 in which you get up and start marching and running and doing calisthenics and all those things. You have a lovely drill sergeant who's just there to encourage you and, and, and you do what you're told and you focus on what you're doing because you're now in the army. You need to be ready because when you get to battle, you can't be worried about are you getting the oil changed in your car? You can't be worried about what movies are coming out in the theater that you'd like to see. You can't worry about how much you wish you were with your girlfriend. You have to stop and go, I have to focus. Why? Life or death is on the line, not just for you, but for the people you're defending. And Paul says, don't get yourself caught up in all of these peripheral things. Get focused. You're going to have to endure. Listen, if I have to face a giant, then I guess I'll grab some stones and pray a lot and do my best. But once the giant is dead, I want to be done with the battles, I want to walk off the battlefield and onto the yellow brick road and onto the Emerald City where I live happily ever after. That's my plan. Interestingly, God rarely asks me for my plan. That is is not how it works. And that is not how it worked for David. And that's not how it went for Timothy. Heck, that's not even how it went for Dorothy if you think about the movie. It's not how it's gonna happen for you and me either. I so wish I could stand here and with a straight face tell you that after you come to Jesus, it's just like a walk in the park. But that isn't the truth. The truth is that we live in a broken world. The truth is that we have a powerful enemy. The truth is that the battles continue and sometimes get more intense by the day. There seems to be no end to the number of giants who step into our path. That's bad news. But I have good news too. I don't know about you, but I have read the end of the book and our side wins. Obviously you were asleep when I said that. I have read to the end of the book and our side wins, you guys. It's so important for us to know this. It's so important to remember this. God has not told us that on accident. He is reminding us that yes, we are enduring. Yes, we may be suffering. Yes, we may be stumbling. Yes, we may be failing in many ways. But God has already written the rest of the story. God has a plan for your life and his plan for your life is great. But before we get there, we have to endure, we have to fight, we have to struggle. But I have more good news. Although we have to pass through the fire, we do not have to do it alone. David wrote in Psalm 23 that he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Even David had to just keep walking through these valleys but he didn't have to fear because God was with him. We've talked about this. Timothy would have to do the same thing. He was gonna keep facing challenges, but he needed to remember that God was with him and that God had a plan to finish what he began. And you and I are gonna have to struggle too. There will be times of attack. When you, when you came to know Christ, and, and I'm not trying to talk anybody out of following Jesus here because following Jesus is the greatest thing you can ever do, but when you say yes to Jesus, you exchange your life for his. You now become a part of a cosmic battle where you're going to be attacked because of whose side you're on. There are going to be times of failure just because you're not yet perfect, And if you think you are, ask your spouse. They will explain it to you. (laughs) There are going to be times of grief. There are going to be times of loneliness. There are going to be times of significant temptation in our lives. You better grab some extra stones for the giants you're going to face. But as we go through the fire, we do not go through it alone. We have the Holy Spirit and that means we have access to the peace and the hope and the joy and and all the rest that comes as the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yes, we have to endure. But the presence and the power of God make perseverance possible. Remember, for the 45th time I will say this, David is not the hero of this story. God is the hero of this story. In fact, it's not just David's story that that God is the hero of, he's the hero of your story too. Your life is not your story. Your life is part of God's story. If you're a Christian, your life is not your own. The scripture says you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to the one true hero. You've been adopted by the king. You are provided for, you are protected, you are taken care of by God himself. How is it possible to go through all the battles that David went through, all the wars, all the coups, all, the, all of the chaos in his family, all the temptations, all the failures, all the attacks, giant after giant after giant after giant. How can a person go through all of that and still come out on the other side known as a man after God's own heart? We're going to see in the next couple weeks how God poured out blessings and made David's legacy great beyond your wildest imagination. And it certainly wasn't by David's own strength. It was by God's. I know it sounds simplistic. And I know it sounds cliche. But the only way to endure in this life is to stand as close to Christ as you possibly can. Listen, listen. Listen to how Paul explains this at the end of Ephesians. So you're in the New Testament, you're in 2 Timothy. Go to your left a little bit. Um, Right before you get to Philippians, you're going to find the book of Ephesians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the whole church at Ephesus, which remember is the church that Timothy is pastoring. It's the church we've been talking about. And he writes to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna pick it up there and just look at uh, three or four verses. Look what he says beginning in verse 10. Finally, this is how he closes his letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Underline in your Bible, in the Lord, underline his might. This idea of being strong in and of yourself is a joke and you know it because you've been living this life long enough that you don't need someone else to tell you that. David kept going out on the battlefield to the point where his younger men had to pull him aside and say, listen, Gramps, you don't get to come anymore. You are slowing us down. And and. The, the battles just continue on, but it's not about David's strength. It's not about my strength, and it is not about your strength. It is about the strength of the Lord. He continues, verse 11, put on the full armor of God, underline of God, So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against um, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, therefore... Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. He tells us that we have to rely upon God's power, God's might, God's strength, God's armor. So, listen. It's not that we can't survive the onslaught of the giants. It's not that we cannot thrive despite the number of the battles. We shouldn't put our heads in the sand and say there's not going to be any giants, there's not going to be any battles, because there certainly will be. But your thriving in the midst of that will not be because you tried so hard. It will not be because you were so smart. It will not be because you were so dedicated. It will be because you stand as close to Jesus as you possibly can, and he takes you where you need to go. It's his might, his power, his strength. How do we endure the battles of this life? Only by God's power. Be strong in the Lord. It's not about your might. It's about the power of his might. See, one way to look at David's life as we get toward the end of this series, one way to look at David's life is to say that it was really a series of disappointments and failures, and that is absolutely true. Don't miss the point, though. David's life was hard. It was marked by trials. It was marked by struggles. It was marked by failures, but in the end, what's it all about? It's about a giant slaying God who never left David alone for one second. There is no way to explain the life of David and his impact on the world except to say that God did it. It makes me think of one of my favorite Old Testament verses, it's in Second Chronicles 16, 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Did you get the gist of that? He God, picture God standing on a hillside looking for just somebody who's willing to actually put their whole trust in him. Someone whose heart is completely God's, who says it's not about me, it's about you, Lord. God is looking for people like that. Why does it say he's looking for them? So that he can show himself strong in their lives. God is interested in showing the world who he is by what he does in and through your life. But to do that, your heart has to be his. There's no way to explain the life of David except that God did it. How would people explain your life? If they they looked at your situation, they looked at your trajectory, They looked at your joy or lack thereof. They looked at your hope or lack thereof. They looked at the power that's being manifested in your life, the plan, the path that you're on. How would people explain your life? Could they explain it simply by your power, your strength, your ability? Or would they have to say, man, there's no way to explain that except God must really love that person. There must really be a powerful God. Is it about your strength or is it about God's strength? Is it about your failures or is it about God's amazing grace? Is it about your greatness or is it about what a mighty God you serve? What do people see when they look at your life? What will they see when they look at your life moving forward? David had to endure. Timothy had to persevere. Even Paul had to suffer immensely. Remember, he writes 2 Timothy. It's the last thing we have from Paul in our Bibles. Do you know why it's the last thing? Because shortly after he finished writing it, he heard the footsteps of the executioners as they came down the hall and they picked him up and they took him outside and they chopped off his head. That's what happened to Paul. He wasn't speaking theoretically when he told Timothy to endure and to persevere and to fight the good fight. In fact, listen to what he tells Timothy near the end of the second letter. If we go back to 2 Timothy and we go to um, chapter four. 2 Timothy chapter four. Listen to this, beginning in verse five. As he winds up his letters to his young protege, he says this, but you, Timothy, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He knew. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who has loved his appearing. The executioners came. They walked him down the hall. They took him outside, and they chopped off his head And he woke up in heaven. And God himself placed a crown on Paul's head that day. You guys, we have to remember, this life is short and eternity is forever. Yes, the struggles continue, one day they won't. It's hard to endure hardship. It's hard for David, hard for Paul, hard for Timothy, and it's hard for us. But there is a crown that awaits us. Paul lived a difficult but joyful and spirit-filled life and his life is still making a huge impact on us today. Timothy had to persevere through so much difficulty. He was in over his head the whole time and he knew it. But he serves as an example to all of us even now. David had to walk all the way through the proverbial valley of the shadow of death. I think he walked through that valley over and over and over again. But he is forever known as the man after God's own heart. How will people describe your life? See, God was writing David's story. And God is still writing your story. And there are probably some more giants in your future. But the God of David is your God too. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. The battle belongs to the Lord. Let's stand and pray together. God, we come to you uh, in the midst of various battles. I can only imagine throughout the lives of everyone listening to this, how many different battles are going on right now, how many giants are being faced right now, even just by the people in this room. Father, each one of us dependent upon you, each one of us facing struggles as they come and needing you to show yourself strong in our lives, and so we ask you, make our hearts completely yours. Let us be people whose eyes are focused upon you. Let us be people who hold your hand. Let us be people who walk so closely to you that the enemy would not dare come near us. Father, we pray for perseverance. We pray for hope. We pray for joy and peace in the midst of a life that has many wonderful things and many difficult things. Help us, God, to walk with you all the way through. And to one day hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, as you place a crown on our heads too. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.